Dollar made a beat, so it's go time. guys welcome back to the core forward podcast for a podcast on gbb's podcast network alongside gbb live three and d and starting five grizzly bear blues is a blog under sb nation you can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or you can find us on twitter at sbn grizzlies and the core four is under new management i am your host nathan chester i've been around on the block here for the last few years of my old co-host Parker Fleming but now I am joined by a new co-host a guy who's got his own vision he's got his own interesting voice and he has joined me as a co-host on the show several times before already he's the most he's the purveyor of positivity he's one of the (laughs) uh, best most compelling voices on social media today the Bryce Hayes Bryce what's going on my man Man, you make it sound like I'm really doing something, man. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think one of Parker's old sayings, and I'm talking about him like he's dead right now. He's not dead. Uh, he started a new podcast called The Long View. Um, all great partnerships come to an end, and Parker will still be joining the core four on different occasions. But one thing that Parker used to say in the before times is that you got to gas up your homies, gas them up like kings, and that's what I'm doing for you, man. You're big time. You got to act like it. <laughs> It made me feel good, but yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to take over for Parker, and you know, I'm I'm happy to bring some positivity to the court for you know, have the positive outlook. We're in the off season now. There's going to be a lot of discussions, a lot of discussions that don't need to be had, which that's already kind of started. So, I'll be here to keep everybody grounded this off season. I don't. I don't really think a lot of people are just floating out in space right now and need to be grounded. I think for the most part, nothing has happened to erase the overall level-headedness that Grizz fans have right now as we're going into the offseason. There's a little bit that we'll talk about with the Grizzlies as far as the NBA draft, Jaron Jackson Jr., but the Grizzlies are not really a primary focus for the league as a whole right now, but there are also other small markets who have made it to both the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. Bryce, what has been your favorite thing about watching these types of franchises like Phoenix, who has not been relevant in this way since the mid-2000s. You have Milwaukee, who, to be completely honest and blunt about it, has not been this relevant since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And you you just don't typically see teams like this at this stage of the NBA season. What has been your favorite part about watching that? The league's under new management. Yeah. You know, we – Granted, we dealt with some injuries, whether it be James Harden, Kyrie, LeBron, AD, all those guys, but – the young guys are here. They're showing up. They're showing out. They're taking advantage of the big stage. I'm happy to see Trey Young take advantage of his opportunity because, you know, all, all season, pretty much his whole career has been in the shadow of Luka Doncic, who won the trade, this, that, and the other. He finally gets his shot on a, on a big stage like the NBA playoffs, and he's taking full advantage. He's taking his team to a new level alongside Clint Capella, John Collins, and those guys, and they're showing out. And I think they have a legitimate chance to knock off Milwaukee, too, because the way they're playing defense, I know Giannis is great, help defender, but if they get Brooke Lopez caught in a pick, 
Atlanta's going to the NBA Finals, and that's a word I've never thought I would say in my entire life. No, absolutely. And it's something I'm looking forward to the most, and I think there was an ESPN article about this in the last couple of days, but I'm looking forward to now that the empty stats narrative for young stars in bad situations finally dying the death that it's needed to die for a long time. For sure. Because the narrative around Devin Booker for <clears throat> the last four or so years is that he's a guy who's going to put up great stats, he'll score the ball a lot, but he's doing nothing to elevate winning. Um, I remember I was having a conversation with Parker and a few others, and not to say that I'm right and they were all wrong, but they were lamb blasting me two years ago for saying, of course I'd take Devin Booker over Clay Thompson. Uh, Clay Thompson has not shown me that he could be the primary offensive scoring option of a team on a good basis. And yes, Devin Booker has not elevated the Suns to true postseason contention at that time, but that's not his fault. It just isn't. Right. Look at the rock. He's going to take uh, Tyler Eulis and Dragon Bender to the NBA Finals. <laughs> you expect him to do that? No, Jeez. it's not the way it works. But you're seeing what happens when ultra-talented guys that you know are ultra-talented, like Trey Young and Devin Booker, get the pieces that complement them and the pieces that they need to truly be contenders. And now they're showing out under the brightest of lights. And it shouldn't be surprising, even though that it is for a lot of people. Well, something that gets lost is as great as some of these young guys are, it's still a team game at the end of the day. One one man is not taking people to the promised land. I'm sorry. I know we try to paint this narrative with KD, LeBron, and these guys because of how great they are, and they are that great. But at the end of the day, basketball, like any other sport, does not golf. It's a team game, and you can't do it by yourself. These teams, including the Grizzlies, who really shouldn't have been where they are either, they built teams around their young stars – and I don't see these teams going anywhere. And I know Golden State missed out on the playoffs. They're coming back healthy next year. Basketball's in a good spot right now. And I'm glad it's, we we're able to shine a light on markets that don't always necessarily get that shine nationally. Exactly. And the league is deeper, more talented than we've ever seen before. And I love how you mentioned Golden State because that's a very compelling thing to me going into next year is how sustainable is this going forward for these um, franchises, these small market franchises like Milwaukee and Atlanta, Phoenix is a top 10 market. They don't really count under that category, but no one has associated Phoenix with truly meaningful title contention basketball right. for a long time. Um, it's interesting to me to see how well they're going to maintain this level of play in the postseason because LeBron James and Anthony Davis are coming back with a fury. They're not going right. anywhere. This idea that the old is gone, the new has come, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. The, the old guard is still around. Golden State, they may be mistaken. <coughs> they may be mistaken in thinking they can run it back with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who's been away from basketball for two years. And Draymond Green, a few draft picks, expect to be a title contender. But Steph just had the best season of his entire career this past year. Klay Thompson looks anything like he did before he had the multitude of injuries that he's had. And Golden State is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the West. <coughs> so that's interesting to me to see how Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Phoenix, teams like Atlanta and Milwaukee – how do they respond when the old guard strikes back a little bit going into the next year? But that's especially true for me when it comes to Milwaukee because, let's be real, Milwaukee is a very flawed team in spite of the talent they have in players like Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. They're losing in five. If Brooklyn had had Kyrie, Harden, and Durant, 
And so this idea that Giannis has kind of cleared the Jordan hump and now Milwaukee's no. going to become a dynasty, I don't buy that. Not yet. So that kind of goes along with what is this going to look like over the next few years? That, that Milwaukee team is a very interesting case because I'm still adamant on Giannis being the brand and Chris Middleton being their actual better player and their closer. And if this Milwaukee team was as great as – they would seemingly be being in the Eastern Conference Finals. Those games where it was just Kevin Durant on the floor playing 48 minutes wouldn't be as close as they actually were. So it's going to be curious how Atlanta plays them because Atlanta's hungry. They, they're that close to the prize, and they're going to come out and punch them in the mouth. And it's all up to see how Milwaukee responds. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting for sure. Just right now while we're talking about it, um, I'll let you make your Phoenix and L.A. pick, and I'll let you make your Milwaukee and Atlanta pick. Probably being a prisoner at the moment, but I think Phoenix is going to finish off the Clippers. Very little problem there. I don't think Kawhi is going to come back. Chris Paul is supposed to be back for game three. I think that series is neat bow and tie at this point. I hate to continue betting against Atlanta because they keep rising against the odds over and over again. I do not think they have the personnel to properly match up with Giannis and stuff. I expect they'll put Clint Capella on him. That's probably because they don't want Clint Capella roaming the perimeter with Brooke Lopez anyway. So find their tallest, biggest guy, have him kind of wander the paint, kind of like how Blake Griffin was doing with them for Brooklyn. I don't think Capella quite has the lateral agility to hang with Giannis over a seven-game series, and I think that'll be the ultimate checkmate. Um, we know Giannis is never going to guard Trey Young. This is not the way Milwaukee does things, but Milwaukee does have a good plethora of wing defenders that they can throw at Trey to frustrate him, and I think that'll ultimately be the deciding factor. I'm going to say Phoenix and six. I think L.A. will fight back once they get back to Staples, but I don't foresee them coming back and winning the series. But as far as Atlanta and Milwaukee goes, I wanted Milwaukee to lose last round because I'm tired of seeing Giannis take – three minutes at the free throw line. I'm tired of seeing that ugly green they wear. But I'll say Atlanta in six, just because the way that Milwaukee plays defense and the way Atlanta has sustainably shot for the most for the majority of the pro season, I just don't think they can keep up with them. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I think that's fair. That drop coverage they run is not going to work for Trey Young. Then they have Kevin Herter and Bogdanovich playing probably the best they have in their career so far is just too much. And then Giannis gets complacent, start taking threes, trying to keep up with them. That's bad offense. And if Atlanta gets up 15, 20 points on them, Milwaukee doesn't have that type of firepower to fight back like Philadelphia did a couple times in the last round, in my opinion. I do think it's hilarious um, to hear Milwaukee fans kind of in the Giannis-James Harden rivalry that's been stoked over the last few years say that Harden is the most unwatchable star in the league. I'm going to be honest with you. I have respect for the type of talent that Giannis is. But if there's such a thing as saying that that was the most unimpressive 40-point, 10-rebound elimination game performance I've ever seen. <laughs> That's probably what I'd call Giannis's performance in that game seven. Airball two free throws. I was shocked when I looked at the box score at the end of the game and saw he had 40 it's, points. It's, it's not that I can't watch him. It's just so frustrating because I know he could be even better with all he would do is simply learn how to shoot in the mid-range and quit yeah. freaking threes and quit – 
airballing free throws and quit taking 30 minutes at the free throw line. Because the thing is, I understand why it happens because he plays just like me and my past teammates. He plays like a football player. You get downhill and you go to the lane because, you know, nobody can stop you. But if you actually have to use some, any type of finesse, it's dangerous because you're too strong in your upper body. Yeah. That's where most of his problem is. People try to blame Jason Kidd. No, blame the weight room. That's the reason he shoots the way he shoots. It's no different than Shaq when he was 7'2", seven, seven 330 pounds. He's just too strong, and he hasn't quite figured out his, like, sweet spot when it comes to finesse. And until Giannis figures that out, he'll never reach his true potential, which sounds crazy considering he's already a, what, two-time MVP? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, and speaking of frustrating, let's talk a little bit about – two teams who went out earlier than most people thought they were going to um, in the Philadelphia 76ers and in the Utah Jazz. Utah's obviously obviously got an issue in the fact that they simply don't have enough. Uh, they don't have enough athletic defense on the perimeter. I think it's just the best way to put it. And really, that was put into perspective even when they were running the Grizzlies off the court because as, for as well as they were shooting the ball, Dylan Brooks was scoring at will. And Dylan Brooks – great player, the Grizzlies' best wing scorer. But that's not supposed to be a good thing. Dylan Brooks is not supposed to be scoring 25 points per game, getting to the rim at will, and that's exactly what he was doing against Utah. And then they play Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and it goes about as you would predictably expect. Right. It simply don't have the bodies to properly put them out there. So, you know, you're not defined by a single bad draft pick in the first round, but you go out and you draft Yudoka as a bookie this traditional dinosaur big man from Kansas is one of their late first round picks last year when, you know, Desmond Bain was there. There were guys who could fill it up and shoot the ball and be competent defensively. And I don't get me wrong, Desmond Bain wasn't going to fix the Utah Jazz's issues defensively, but they're at a point where they're kind of in this place where they've got to address that need on the perimeter but their shooting has made them who they are. And so right. you don't want to cut into that trying to address that need. And so maybe somebody like Kelly Oubre, somebody who's a very streaky shooter, but on the right nights can fill it up, and somebody who will bring you consistent pressure on the perimeter defensively, maybe he's somebody. But they're kind of at this place where it's like everything was perfect for you. The road right. was perfect. You didn't have to worry about LeBron James. You didn't have to worry about Kevin Durant or the super team Brooklyn Nets, everything was good, and you lose to a shorthand Clippers team. I don't know what to tell you. I think they're kind of in the same spot, not to compare their roster to the Grizzlies, but they're still in a similar situation where they're going to have to consolidate and sacrifice some of that shooting in order to get somebody that can play defense. Because at this current point, if you get them in any situation where you have to guard on a perimeter for longer than three or four seconds – they're they're terrible. Like mm. they're a great team. They can shoot shoot the skin off a of basketball, but that defense isn't that great. Like Rudy Gobert, I understand he's won all these defense player of the years for being a great rim protector and help defender. But even then, if you get him outside of five feet away from the basket, there's no point in him even being on the floor. So they're gonna have to figure something out. I don't know what that is exactly. Like you suggested Kelly Oubre. I haven't looked that deep into it. I'm going to be honest with you, but they're going to have to do something. And Philadelphia, on the other hand, 
it's time to do something new. The process is over. It's only so it's only so much longer you can prolong this. Look, you know what the ceiling is. It's it's over. Give it yeah, up. Look, I I don't say this lightly, but there are some times when the casual fans are right about certain things. And and when the casual fans are right, it's because it's just plainly obvious to anybody who's watching a game. Uh, ben Simmons is absolutely unplayable in that series against the Hawks. Absolutely unplayable. And you can make whatever arguments that you want about his passing ability, his size and athleticism, his playmaking, his defense that probably should have made him defensive player of the year this year. He should have been. You could be, be a defensive player of the year. And if you're going to stand around on offense and do nothing, guess what? You're still unplayable. It does not matter. You well, the thing, the thing is, um, to defend him, to defend them, partially defend them anyway. When they ask him about certain situations, once the series was over, especially the play where he passed up on the dunk, like his reasoning for passing up on opportunities like that one, and like sometimes where you see him camped out in the corner instead of off moving off the ball, like once he gave the certain answer, like, okay, I understand that, but at the same time, you're supposed to be Batman and Robin with Embiid instead of and B being the guy, you're just kind of there. It's like he forgot to be the alpha that he that we all know he can be. And like I've said a couple times on Twitter, like I don't know if it's a sports psychologist he needs to see or what, but the confidence that he used to exude at Montverde in Florida, at LSU, and really that rookie season in Philly is not there anymore. And I don't know what happened. Like some people are saying he's shooting with the wrong hand, but that doesn't affect you being able to take the ball and just get downhill and go as far as compared to just kind of passing the ball to Embiid and standing over in the corner waiting for your opportunity in case he misses. You're too good of a player for that. We know you can play basketball. When you mentioned sports psychology, um, and I'm watching this dude play, and maybe he is. He seems pretty miserable based off some postseason comments that he's making, like, I am who I am. It is what it is. That's an exact quote. That's what he said. But he looked like not only does he look miserable, I know that I would be miserable if I was overthinking the game so heavily and so clearly the way that he has. Like I am watching him dribble at the elbow with no one within five or six feet of him. And I'm thinking like, you know, obviously there's a difference between NBA, pickup, AAU, anything that I've ever played. But I'm thinking, how can you not shoot the basketball in that situation? I don't understand it. Like, I just don't get it whatsoever. And that's the big thing for me. You know, people mention Ben Simmons trades to Memphis that are obviously not going to happen and stuff like that. But if I'm thinking about trading some foundational pieces to get Ben Simmons on my basketball team, um, I don't like I don't think there's much precedent in the NBA or any other professional sports league for someone who is so I for lack of a better way to describe it so mentally broken in their game for how that can be repaired or brought back to a place where you can be the star that your talent says that you should be um I don't know how that gets turned around and are you really wanting to move foundational pieces on your roster to get a guy that at the end of the day, you just don't know if you can mentally trust in the postseason. You just don't know if you can. You don't know if he'll be there or not. All right. To circle back to your to him dribbling at the elbow, the thing about that is, like, his first two years, he had a sky up that nobody could block. And that's, like, completely evaporated from his game. Mm-hmm. At LSU, he had the mid-range jumper that, granted, he wouldn't take it much, but at least he would – 
have the confidence to take it. Doesn't do that now. It's just kind of if he doesn't dunk it, he's passing the ball away. And he's got to get that figured out because as great as he is defensively, I'm not going to call him a liability offensively, but you're not really offering much if all you're going to do is stand and wait for a missed shot to actually be aggressive. Now, as far as like the mental mental block, the only person I can really think of getting past on mental block and coming back is Rick and killed the Cardinals because he was a pitcher and changed yeah. positions. Mm-hmm. But that, which I mean, I guess you could do that with Ben Simmons and don't make him a point guard anymore. But I still think at the end of the day, he's actually a point guard, but he needs an actual point guard playing alongside him instead of Ben Simmons is the show passes to Joel and B, which it's kind of been Philly's plan the last couple of years. Get him somebody that can play alongside him where he's not always the primary ball handler and just see what he can do. Because right now this plan isn't working. They've it, reached it, their ceiling and this yeah. is it. And I'm seeing people talking about how like, oh, well, he's he's been coddled. He's been babied. By, I remember Stephen A. Smith was saying somebody had texted him that. And I don't really pay any mind to that, but that's just the narrative around him. I'm not even sure if that's the case. I think he needs somebody to remind him how good he is, to be honest with you. Because when you look at those postseason comments, when he's saying like, yeah, I understand why you might be confused, why I'd pass that up in that situation. But essentially, like somebody asked him, would you rather go to the dunking spot or would you rather stand in the corner and wait for a kick out from Embiid? And he's saying like, honestly, it'd be better to make it Embiid, make a contested jumper in the paint and have right. me try to rebound for him rather than him swing it out to me, that's great that you feel that way. But do you realize how lowly of a player that makes yourself sound? Yeah. You're better than that. And he's got to believe that he's better than that at some point. If he's going – if you think Tobias Harris taking 17-foot step-back jumpers is better for the team than you taking a driving layup, I mean, that is your prerogative to believe that at the end of the day. But you're never going to be a star believing that. You never will, whether it's true or not. And the thing is, like – you can call them coddled all you want. Most of these guys in the league are coddled. Yeah. That's, not, that's not the issue here. It's just whatever is up here in his head once he gets past the three-point line, no one can tell you what it is with Ben Simmons. And that's something he'll have to deal with this offseason. He's decided not to play in the Olympics so he can figure it out. He's got a summer, a short one at that because they made a decent run in the playoffs. So he's got he's got to figure it out, or his career tra- trajectory is about to change drastically from what it should be. Yep. And we're, Ben Simmons has obviously got a lot of question marks, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. We'll tie this discussion and end on a Grizzlies topic for another guy who has question marks going into next year, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr. And there's going to be some talk about what contract negotiations are going to be for him, and his injury came at kind of the wrong time where really the most inconvenient time of his career for him to get it in a lot of ways, because if he has a really good season in year three, then it'd already be a done deal going forward, probably rookie scale max extension for him. But now there's a lot of question, a lot of conversation about what his contract extension is going to look like. Bryce, what do you think the Grizzlies should give him? What do you think is reasonable? Do you think maybe like a four-year, $100 million deal, something close to what Jalen Brown got on his Celtics extension? Or did the Grizzlies kind of give him a shorter, hey, we want to pay you the max money that you deserve, but prove it to us for a year. Prove it to us that you can stay healthy. And once you prove to us that you can stay healthy, we'll give you all the money that you want more. What do you think is the right avenue for them? 
Well, considering his injury history, like I understand people are going to say, oh, they shouldn't extend him because he gets hurt. Oh, he can't rebound, yada, yada, yada. That's beside the point. I think the actual thing they should do is a short-term deal, not the max money, but as close to it as possible without being disrespectful. Let them prove it. Have it to where it can kind of line up, line up with Jaws' extension. Go all out. Try and get another star in here if you can, and work for it because I still think John ja, ja and Jaren is a combination that can work and get the Grizzlies to places they've never gone before. But at the same time, he has to stay on the floor or else it doesn't matter. Yeah. So give him a short term, prove it, then go get that big money after that. So here's the really interesting question. And let me be clear. I don't think this will be the reality, but I think it's worth like bringing up anyway. So let's say he stays healthy this coming year, but he's more or less the player that he was back in year two, in his last healthy season. What do you do then? He does, he's not really taking any big leaps or anything of that nature. He just kind of appears to be what he is. Are you still banking on him at that point still becoming your second star or whatever you think he needs to be for the Grizzlies to become title contenders in the future. I'm having a mind block. Is the, the bubble is year two, right? That's still but, technically year two, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah I, can't, I can't, like, there are people say, oh, well, Jaron took a big leap in the bubble. He averaged 25 points a game. It was a three-game sample size, and people forget that he was bad in the scrimmages leading up to those three bubble games as well. So I don't really – pay much attention to be like oh jaron broke zion's ankles i'm like i don't care that's still year two yeah yeah i'll still i understand your point of view on that but i do think that's closer to what he would have been this year than what we saw sure in the beginning of year two and what we saw post-injury the bubble i think was what he was really supposed to be this year Mm because you saw Aiden take the leap, Trey take the leap, Donches take the leap, Marvin Bagley, we, people even forget he's even in this class. But everybody else took the leap. But Jaron Jackson had to sit and watch his guys get the job done without him. Mm-hmm. Now, he's already doing the work to come back and be ready for next season. I know he was at the forum yesterday. I just missed him, apparently, when I went running down there yesterday. But he's trying to come back and be the Jaron Jackson Jr., that we all think he can be. And I'm adamant to Grizzlies fans, don't let what you saw post-injury change your opinion on Jaron Jackson Jr. Because guess what? Knee knee injuries take time. I think about this from a practical perspective, and I'm not comparing Jaron Jackson to Michael Jordan on a talent level, obviously, when I say this. But Jordan missed most of his second season with a foot injury kind of rushed to come back to finish out a second season and then ended up getting swept by the Celtics and the playoffs. But at that age, you know, I think he was 22 years old at the time. So still coming into his body, still growing, getting stronger in that way. And he has a year to kind of physically mature more and more, even while he's not playing. And then he kind of comes back at the end, gets some more game action. And he wasn't what he was during his rookie season. And then he gets that whole long all season to work on nothing but skill work to get back to where he needed to be. And he did more than get back to where he was at one point. He averaged 37 points a game in his third season. So I use that to say there's precedent that Jaron could take a huge leap in year four, like maybe borderline all-star type leap if he 
when he gets this amount of time to work on his skill and just get comfortable in his body, which is obviously bigger and stronger than it was a year ago on the basketball court doing basketball things. So I don't expect him to look like how he did in year two. I expect him to take a leap, too. And I've been saying it all along for the last two years. You know who John Morant is. You know what he is. Um, you know what he's going to be with the Grizzlies going forward. Um, where the Grizzlies will ultimately go is where Jaron Jackson's going to take them, how good Jaron Jackson's going to be. And that's much more up in the air than that question is about John Morant at this point. And that question's going to define a lot going forward. Exactly. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. is 22 in September. It's not like he's a finished product whatsoever. He grew two inches while he was hurt. He put on some weight. He was in a completely different body from the last time he had played basketball and people have decided to give out these grand assumptions about what he's going to be as a basketball player. It's just not the case. A knee injury takes time. A new body takes time to adjust to. Now he's got a whole off season to figure those little things out that he was kind of having to figure out on the fly in the middle of a playoff run last season. Yep. Good word. So Bryce, this is the end of our first core four mm-hmm. official podcast together with you is my official co-host. I'll leave you with one quick question. Who do you think the Grizzlies are picking in the NBA draft? And we'll end on that. You know what? Y'all know how I am. I haven't really started looking at all that. But I can tell you this. If Josh Christopher slides past 28, Zach Kleiman trades up to get him. That I can I guarantee so. you. That I can guarantee you. As far as the first pick, Give me a week or two, and I can give you a more definitive answer. But for right now, I've, I haven't got much. I just want to put you on the spot to see, see what was going on in the big old noggin and see what was going on up there. Right now, I'd say probably Zaire Williams will end up being the most likely pick at 17 out of Stanford. But there's a lot of leeway for moving up, trading up. That I'm sure um, King Kleiman will be more than happy to explore as we get closer to draft day and arrive on draft day. Bryce, why don't you pluck your stuff, man? Y'all know what it is. I mean, y'all can follow me on Twitter at NXT Prodigy. Make sure to follow Elite Media. I do great work with them. Football season coming up. I know y'all are football fans down here in the South. Um, yeah, man. Follow SBN Grizzlies. Tap in with us. Just tap in with Core Four. It's about to be a fun basketball season. Stick with us. Yep. And you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. And you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. And remember, don't cancel them. Bryce, I'll let, I'll let you uh, close out for us here today. I remember this time. You That's remember. all, folks. That's, That's all. all, folks. That's how we do it. <laughs>